This episode is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. For three months of unlimited access for just $30, go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Probably science. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. Hopefully... Every week we're getting a bit closer to having decent sound. Hopefully this is a bit better still. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Let us know. Let us know what it sounds like. Uh, our guest today, let's just jump straight into it, is uh, a, a friend I, I met working for Comedy Knockout in New York all those years back. All right, he's over here having worked on a bunch of TV things. He's also co-host with his brother of... Uh, hang on, I'm going to get the name wrong. I... His name is Sam Pasternak. His brother's name is Jesse Pasternak. Sam, what's your podcast called? It's called The Podcasternak. Thank you. Podcasternak. I was like, the, <laughs> I was like the Pastacast, the Casternak. I, I knew, I, I knew it was. It's the it's the it's the rhyminiest version of it. <laughs> yes, it, it's exactly. I, I you know I'm generally a big fan of things that are conspicuously wrong just just off <laughs> i love i love an extra syllable i love an extra word where it shouldn't be that's that's exactly in my wheelhouse of slightly wrong things we could change it to the pastor pod if you want that sounds terrible <laughs> <laughs> the the internet radio show tanak <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the hey, way Sa sam oh sorry to interrupt um i, I can't hear your name and not think about I should already know the name Pasternak independent of this, but um, the Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire. You, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Little Little Rock Pasternak, Mickey Mantle Kerouac. That's uh, it's, it's family history for us. Are you actually related to that Pasternak? No, I am oh. not. The, 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 the justification there, basically, um, origin of the name Pasternak, uh, it, is, it is Polish and it means root vegetable. Oh, interesting. Um, so our our more it's Pastuniak. Our more um, our more whimsical relatives thinks that it means uh, thinks think that it means uh, man sitting on a mountain eating a turnip. Okay, which feels a little too far fetched for me. It's probably just like parsnip salesman. <laughs> uh, there are two ways of spelling it. There's N A C K in the knack and N A K. The famous one is the N A K Boris Pasternak who wrote Doctor Zhivago. Um, mm -hmm. I am the lowly N-A-C-K. Oh, sorry. Yeah. It's, but, you know, you're, you're both in the parsnip trade. Exactly. We're both parsnip guys, um, <laughs> but I, um, I am from the one that looks way less Russian. Right, right. Anything AK just looks incredibly, incredibly Russian. But, Very. yeah, I, I, I have it multiple times in my life used, like, the sample of Billy Joel saying Pasternak in different ways. It's, uh... <laughs> it's, it's incredibly useful, even though it doesn't sound like it would be. It's pretty cool. We just had that as a trivia question on a uh, a Zoom-based pub quiz that Matt and I did this past week. Yeah, oh, it was uh, the final round was fill in the we didn't start the fire words. And was and was the missing word Pasternak or was the Pasternak was, that... was not one of the missing words. No, no. But I know, I know some people dropped a point on getting the wrong Mickey. It was Mickey Blank. What did and they it, say? Like Mickey? Who? who, who a lot of people went. A lot of people went mouse. But that's just that's just syntactically wrong. That doesn't scan. <laughs> no, those right. are not so musical people at all. But yeah, it's mantle for any any listeners who aren't as familiar with the oeuvre of Billy Joel. No, they all know. You, <laughs> you've got you got to have some smart listeners you've on this thing. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's true, actually. Like I, it was the lyrics to "We Didn't Start the Fire" was part of our required reading that we set everyone before they're allowed to listen to episode <laughs> one of Probably Science. It's like master class. You have these weird like PDFs that you give on the side that like people yeah, exactly. Not be you know, you, you just tell people. You know, it, it's in the summer holidays before you enlist in Probably oh, Science oh, podcast oh. listening. You tell them like here's. Here's some of the reading list, and you should be familiar as if you were able to with as much of this as possible, because <laughs> it will come up. And then, and then you look at the list, and it is just the words of "We didn't start the fire" and nothing else. It's a hell of a class, guys. I'm into yeah. it. I'm, I'm absolutely into it. Thanks for having me on the show. This is going to be fun. Thanks I'm for doing to be the here. show. Yeah. 
This is, is I, uh, I, I know I told you guys this uh, before we started recording, but just, just for the listeners, I am currently on an exercise bike. Um, because I learned that no uh, guest on your show has been on an exercise bike while recording. That's oh. true. You are a, you are definitely a first, and I'm, I think yeah. I, I think you know you might be setting a trend there. This is one of the advantages. Obviously, there are many disadvantages to our current predicament. But one of the big advantages is the ability to do things like podcasting from any location and in any state. We'd normally request people to be in the room with us wherever possible, and Andy's apartment, which we normally record from, does not have an exercise bike there. Well, you guys, you guys are going to, in the future, I feel like, get some guests on the toilet. I think that that's going to happen. Like, oh, we do, we do actually, we've had that quite a few times because Andy's <laughs> apartment does have a toilet. Oh, that's good. I, so, I assumed it would. You get um, a little little TJ Chambers on the chamber pot. <laughs> oh, nice, very nice. Yeah, I've installed a uh, idiocracy style uh, couch toilet so I can do everything I need to in life without moving. <laughs> Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, I will be doing the exact opposite of that and literally be pedaling the entire time that we're talking because I'm in this weird, like, productivity uh, vortex where I need to be doing a million things at once. But I also wanted to be a pioneer and do something completely different on your show. Yeah. So what, what, just, just so our listeners know, because right now you don't seem to be in any way gassed. You seem to be at full breath, like full capacity. What what's your current cycling rate and resistance level that you're working with? That's a great question. The bike itself is uh, currently broken in that the pedals work. The resistance is at a uh, five out of eight, um, and but I cannot see because uh, I I tend to listen to music when I when I exercise on this bike. Um, but, uh, and I listened to it with such vigor that I broke the, broke the wires, I think that are, that, that connect to tell me how many calories and how much time and all of that. Um, but I will be winded very, very fast, which is going to be great, great podcast guesting. Right. You'll, you'll love a winded, hurried guest. Hey Sam, yeah. we, yes. we like to ask our guests this before we get deep into the stories. What, if anything, is your background in science and... We've had absolutely zero as an answer, and we've had PhD, I'm a professor as an answer, and everything in between. Or I used to put on science shows with my brother, and we blow stuff up in front of the neighborhood kids. God. Um, I have never been particularly skilled academically when it comes to science and math. I was, I was always a kid who like was like... I put air quotes, but it's a podcast, so you can't see that. I was good at school. Um, but I always tended towards the humanities. Um, my favorite, uh, my favorite way the past couple of weeks to explain my relationship to science and medicine in particular is, um, which is obviously in the news a lot these days. Um, Trump said recently that he is very, very good and smart and naturally gifted at medicine and science. Because his Uncle John was a doctor. Um, I also have an Uncle John who was a doctor. <laughs> and would like to present a full refutation to what Donald Trump is saying. I, <laughs> I, you're I, I, equally, I, no, you're equally qualified. You, your rebuttal is as valid as his actual argument because you're both <laughs> equally related to doctors. So We are both equally related to doctors. We, we went to the same... Uh, the same university uh, for college. Um, he tra he transferred to the school that I went to. Um, we have not the same upbringings. Um, we're both from New York. I this is as close as I can get to associating myself with the monster in the White House. Um, <laughs> but I am proud to say that he is completely wrong on the fact that having an uncle named John who is a doctor and who is smart means that you are also smart and have the <laughs> skills of a doctor. <laughs> that, By the so, way, yeah. I, we don't usually get too political. I mean, although, whatever. We don't have any listeners who think this is a smart man. So it's, it's not really a, that big of an issue. Um, have you have you ever seen someone smart point to their own head as the source of information for things? I, I think there's a <laughs> zero correlation between an intelligent person and the pointing to one's head as where things come from. I, I don't think I can think of a time I've seen a smart person do that. 
It's one of the dumbest things you can do. It's really... It's amazing. I I mean, he's pointing to the right bit that thoughts come from. So I, I, I'd say it's a step thing. down from the dumbest thing you could do. <laughs> you know, if, but yeah, I, I will I will say I've never seen like yeah, Roger thing. Penrose give a lecture where he's pointing at the old noggin. <laughs> just just uh, the old, the noggin up here is uh, <laughs> hope it didn't shake. It's, it's a pretty good one. Yeah. By the way. Um, not exactly related, except that uh, also related just to the, the time that we're in. Um, this might not be a full-on science story, but just an interesting sidebar that I just learned. Uh, I think in the early days of this, our first recording, I was railing against everyone for going crazy on the teepee hoarding. And I was convinced that it was only the panic buying that was creating the shortage. Have you guys heard what the what the turns out for toilet paper is? Nah. What the what is? Sorry, the turns the, out. The, the turns out. I don't know if that's something that people can use as a. Um, there's there's a turns out as it turns out. Um, for I've, I've just never heard the words turns out be used in that context like that. There is a turns out. Uh, I don't know if it's actually a universal thing or just like uh, maybe it's from other podcasts I listen to. The kind of thing that you would get in like a Freakonomics or a Malcolm Gladwell book or something. Anyway. It's like uh, the uh, the Lil John song. Turns out for what? Exactly. <laughs> for what purpose does one turn out? Uh, so yeah, it turns out it's not just that toilet paper was hoarded, and that's why. Basically, a month later, we should be back to full supplies of toilet paper. If it was just this short-term panic buying that created the shortage, because nothing changed in the supplying of toilet paper. But uh, I turns, have heard this. Yes. Oh yeah, but it turns out it's not just the, the hoarding, but it's the actual use case that has now changed because people are now doing all of their wiping in their own homes versus spending half of their wiping potential wiping hours at their wake at work or somewhere else yes it's an interesting logistics problem with a lot of supplies that apparently uh the people who supply things like toilet paper and also a lot of groceries other groceries and like vegetables fruit other produce um it's two very separate supply chains for the, the, for the commercial and the and the residential. Yeah. yeah, even when it's the same companies that make. I, I read the same thing. Even when it's the same companies that makes toilet paper for both commercial and residential, which often isn't the case. There are some companies that only do one or the other. But even when it is just the same company and they split it into two, it's completely different supply chains that they send it down through. It's different logistics. Um, and yeah, one every, can't. Every, one can't. Uh, one of them can't fix the other ones. Um, lack of supply with their surplus because you know those commercial rolls of toilet paper are these one ply giant things you can't even put on your your holder at home um and even when it's the individual rolls they get sent out on pallets but they go to different distribution centers they go to they they go through different distribution channels that they pick them up from so it's extremely hard to switch from one to the other and companies are also loath to make the switches because that takes a lot of time effort and money and logistics that they then would have to reverse possibly in two weeks time who knows yeah so i i read the same thing the reason why we're short of toilet paper now is not because people were hoarding in week one it's because we are shitting more in residential environments <laughs> right which is also i guess a, ca- a big uh, strain on waste management right now because everyone's generating so much more household garbage right yeah I, well i've noticed this just putting out the bins uh, which we do on thir- uh, wednesday night thursday morning and just they're all so much more full than they used to be, particularly the recycling bin. Yeah, and particularly the recycling bin. Yeah. Well, well just because there's a one shed between the buildings and also just everyone... It's because everyone's getting Amazon deliveries and other... Everyone's getting stuff delivered oh, so much okay. more to the house. So these so, huge... So much more cardboard, too. Huge yeah. boxes, yeah, are being, are being filled. Um, I mean, I was going to say mine is for, full for a different reason, but yes. Yeah. Also cardboard, sure. Uh Oh, sorry. I now, yeah, I'm, I'm with you now. Um, yeah, you. Uh, sorry, we should explain to Sam who doesn't know, but uh, Andy has a big disposable butt plug problem, and <laughs> but, they're one time, but they are recyclable. They're like he's very green about it. He has a problem recycling them, or he has a problem with use. Or oh, he has no problem recycling them. them. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very green when it comes to my butt plug consumption. It's. Well, that's good. I mean, it's a brownish green, but um, it's still green. Yeah. Oh boy. I'm sorry. I'm so. This is this is below us. We don't do this on this show. It's sorry. always below us. <laughs> yes. 
If you woke me up this morning and told me that I was going to be having a genuine, concerted, uh, like, like educational conversation about toilet paper supply chain, if you had like violently, violently woken me up and screamed that into my face, I would not have been, I would have been very surprised. I would have been (laughs) fully surprised, more surprised than to have had a stranger screaming in my face that (laughs) that was going to be a part of my day. But I'm into it, guys. Okay. I mean, I think this stuff's interesting, obviously, or else I wouldn't have brought it up. But um, uh, it's 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 what all these all these things that are going to come out as this proceeds that aren't the first degree that are that aren't the expected outcomes. Like obviously, we knew there's going to be a huge economic impact and and a huge health impact, but like all these tertiary things that we won't even know until they until they happen. And um, like, I mean, I, do you guys have a lot of friends with with children that you talk to during this time? Um, I have one very dear friend with a child who I've been talking to every day, uh, and a few other few other friends with kids that I have kept it at at, an, at an arm's length only because I know how busy they busy they are, like right. teaching yeah. their kids and everything, and I don't want to be that extra burden because, like, the worst, like, like on a social level, the the biggest impact is for the people who are in their thirties and forties who have young kids who are like old enough to be in school and then also like elderly parents that they have to convince to stay indoors. Like that's the people who I feel like are so burdened right now. Yeah. It's crazy because we kind of, or maybe I shouldn't say we, but you know, a lot of my friends are now jobless and people are just trying to stay sane while they have nothing but time on their hands. But it's, it's kind of swung everyone in one direction or the other. Either now you have zero time because your burdens have just tripled or suddenly your plate is empty and that brings its own misery, you know? Yeah. But uh, I hope everyone out there is staying sane and listening to plenty of podcasts. Well, I got a fun nothing to do with the current predicament story. Do it. Go for it. To do with another another predicament, or at least a, an upside from a predicament that we once faced. I'm putting it in the show notes right now so you can all sing along and read along with it. <laughs> uh, but it turns out atomic tests have helped to solve an age puzzle of the world's largest fish. Mm. So, thank God. Yeah, Cold War era. This is a BBC News website uh, story. Cold War era atomic bomb tests have helped scientists accurately age the world's biggest fish. Whale sharks are large, slow-moving, and docile creatures that mainly inhabit tropical waters. They are long-lived, but scientists have struggled to work out the exact ages of these endangered creatures. But using the world's radioactive legacy, they now have a workable method that can help the species' survival. Hmm. They're, yeah, they're both the biggest fish and the biggest sharks in existence. No surprise there. Uh, the latter. But uh, growing up to 18 meters in length and weighing on average about 20 tons, their distinctive white spotted coloration makes them easily recognizable. They're, they're a really weird looking thing. So they've yeah, got I'm this not... massive... Just looking at the picture right now, they have almost like a sort of ventilation vent opening at the front they're just like this massive suction tube that they swim through the water hoovering up uh plankton and, and their, their coloration is really strange too i'm not sure i've ever seen a picture of of a whale shark i guess because it, it's a crazy mixture of dots and sort of a maze like pattern almost like a potoski stone sort of if you know those i don't think i do oh the official stone of michigan that's why i know but uh um how many of them do you have did you have growing up at, in michigan i think everyone was required to at least have one by the time they finished elementary school yeah <laughs> so these filter feeders they live on plankton and travel long distances to find food they're very popular with divers uh, but they're also classified as endangered because overfishing in places like thailand and the philippines has diminished their numbers uh, much about the species remains a mystery especially how to age them correctly which is fundamental to understanding their growth rates which is information considered crucial to saving the species. Does, so, does that mean I shouldn't have been cutting my whale sharks in half and counting the rings? Uh, <laughs> it's amazing that you mention that because that is exactly how they have been aging them. No. Scientists have tried to count distinct lines in the vertebrae of dead whale sharks. They act like tree rings in, in a tree trunk, increasing as the animal gets older. Well, yeah, that's why I said that. Why, why else would I have said that? All right, okay, yeah, you said that. Not, not as a joke, but just because that's how, what you know <laughs> from the research you've been conducting yeah. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but So scientists are unsure about how often these rings can form and the reasons behind them. You know, a, a tree, you know each of those, each layer is a year, but... Um, 
Oh, I thought each year was a di- each layer was a different trauma that the tree, that the tree experienced. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, You're fine. You get a ring. And one big one for when it's cut down. Uh, but scientists. <laughs> So, so they don't know how often they don't know it's an annual ring. They don't know what the deal is. So researchers say they've come up with a much more accurate way of determining the whale shark's true age. From the late 1940s, several nations, including the U.S., Soviet Union, Great Britain, France, and China, conducted atomic bomb tests in different locations. Uh, one side effect of all these explosions was the doubling of an isotope of carbon, uh, carbon 14, in the atmosphere. Over time, every living thing on the planet has absorbed this extra carbon-14, which still persists. But as scientists know the rate at which this isotope decays, it's a very useful marker in determining age. The older the creature, the less carbon-14 you'd expect to find. So any animal that was alive then incorporated that spike in carbon-14 into their hard parts, says author Dr. Mark (laughs) Meek. Yeah, their hard parts. That's right. Hard parts. I'm going to incorporate... I think that's a great pickup line. Do you want to incorporate hard parts? (laughs) Who wants to... uh... Hey, you know what else is made of carbon? (laughs) Why don't you get your hard parts incorporated? (laughs) Um, Dr. Mark Meekins from the Australian Institute of Marine Science in Perth. Uh, that means we've got a time marker within the vertebrae, which means we can work out the periodicity at which these isotopes decay. One of the difficulties with aging these sharks has been getting access to samples of vertebrae. The team managed to find two long-dead specimens stored in Pakistan and Taiwan. The study indicated that these creatures do actually live an incredibly long time. The absolute longevity of these animals could be very, very old, possibly as much as 100 to 150 years. This has huge implications for the species. It suggests that these things are probably intensely vulnerable to over-harvesting. The scientists say these, their results explain why whale shark numbers have collapsed in locations like Thailand and Taiwan, where fishing has taken place. They are not built for humans to exploit, says Dr. Meekin. I wonder, is that, is that intuitive to you that longevity implies something would be vulnerable? I would think all that matters is, is how young they... Well, can reproduce well no, no but i i would say it yes it does because if if there is let's say there's a set number of something in the world of an animal in the world the shorter their lifespan the more frequently they must reproduce to keep that number if that constant is set, right so if it you know let's say it takes 70 years to get an animal to that point you kill it that's 70 years worth of growth and life that you've just cut short whereas a mayfly, you know, a, a very short-lived animal, you you kill one of those, and it should be able to reproduce and get back up to that point of viability within a very short amount of time. It's the, it's right. the difference between 101 Dalmatians and 101 whale sharks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, they would probably reproduce less frequently if they are at a set number and their lifespan is longer. Yes. Because also, because also they... They they have more more of their lives to spend with the with with their offspring as opposed to the sudden turnaround. Like I I assume they don't have the same thoughts and feelings that we all do. But once you have a couple kids, it's not like you're like oh I need to have like ten more in my fifties. Uh-huh. You know, like that they, they probably have they they have their they have their offspring they wait a certain amount of time and then they pass off pass away i guess and would you say 150 years is how long the lifespan is yeah so they've been so so whale sharks some whale, whale sharks that are alive today were alive during the spanish flu epidemic in 1918 oh undoubtedly oh yeah yeah you should be consulting yeah, they've, them yeah they've seen it all before they should have said something <laughs> they should have seen what this dicks? coming Listen, we're not being nice to them, though. We're, we're telling everyone how old they are? That's so rude. It's very uncouth, I would say. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm also surprised that this article claims that every living thing contains carbon-14 as a result of, ato- of atomic testing. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have expected that. Especially seeing that we're living things, you guys. Yeah, so it's in us right now. The, we've traced the call. It's coming from inside your spleen. <laughs> I'm just bummed that this age puzzle wasn't one of those. Um, whale shark Mary was twice whale shark Alex's age 
three years ago when the sum of their ages was 36. In five years, how old will Whale Shark Charlie be? <laughs> um, by the way, I just saw a story that listener uh, Kristen Lewis sent in, and it surprises me that this story is published in Nature, because it seems like a... I'm going to say slightly more pseudoscientific story. Um, I don't... I. I don't mean to do it down, but uh, <laughs> it, it is related to what we were talking about just before we started on the site on the uh, on the shark story. Uh, oh, Nature Biomedical. No, this is Nature. Uh, okay. A male- scientists have in Stanford have made a toilet that identifies you based on your butthole. Right. Of course. Uh, to be fair, that is the editorializing of the tweet that Kristen sent us. There is a... The actual article is entitled A Mountable Toilet System for Personal Health Monitoring via the Analysis of Excreta. Sure. That makes it I'll sound I'll put better. that in the show notes as well so you can see it too there, Sam. Is that uh, cameras or... What, what are we dealing with there? So... It is. I can only read you the abstract here because it's linked to the actual article rather than an article about the article, and I don't have a subscription to Nature. But the abstract says, Technologies for the longitudinal monitoring of a person's health are poorly integrated with clinical workflows and have rarely produced actionable biometric data for healthcare providers. Here we describe easily deployable hardware and software for the long-term analysis of a user's excreta through data collection and models of human health. The smart toilet, which is self-contained and operates autonomously by leveraging pressure and motion sensors, analyzes the user's urine using a standard of care colometric assay that traces red-green-blue values from images of urinalysis strips, calculates the flow rate and volume of urine using computer vision as a urophlometer, and classifies stool according to the Bristol stool form scale using deep learning, that's deep learning, with performance that is comparable to the performance of trained medical personnel. Each user of the toilet is identified through their fingerprint and the distinctive features of their anoderm. Uh, what a great way of saying what their butthole looks like. Yeah. Their anoderm uh, is... Uh, yeah, it just means anus skin, right? That just means anus skin. Sure. And the- and the data are securely stored and analyzed in an encrypted cloud server. Thank God it's encrypted. The <laughs> toilet may find uses in the screen diagnosis and longitudinal monitoring of specific patient populations. And that's just the abstract. That's, um, just, that's just in the abstract, yeah. By the way, just I also imagine linked, how much fun the article is. <laughs> I just linked to a realclearscience.com summary of it that does actually include the word anal print scan, which the researchers do call it. So there is a camera on the toilet that images the user's anus, allowing that an algorithm to link the anus image to a specific person on subsequent use. Also, let's not gloss over the Bristol stool scale. Have we talked about that before? Uh, I believe it's come up before. I know have it's come up about- in our sister show, Jesse vs. Cancer. <laughs> but have we talked about what Bristol's story must have been? Uh, we, we must have at some point, right? <laughs> I mean, what a legacy to have. <laughs> I'm on the Wikipedia page right now, and I get it, man. <laughs> I get it. I can I can picture all these poops. <laughs> We've seen them all, sure. One of them yeah, is they, very rabbit poopy. I guess that's the severe constipation. Yeah, that's uh, that's type one, isn't it? Type one, sure. All the way to type uh, seven, which you can imagine is the opposite of that. It's uh, it's the same amount of of, uh, of things on a scale as the uh, the Star Wars lightsaber techniques. There are seven <laughs> of those, and there's seven kinds of poops. Could you describe at, at least two of these lightsaber techniques? Sure. There's one called Vapad. That's technique seven that uh, Mace Windu does. Uh, there's oh man, there's I think Makashi is the name of another one. I don't know, man. I don't know them well. It's my way of, uh, whenever I'm talking to, like, a very intense Star Wars fan, and they claim that I know nothing, I just mention a couple of the names of lightsaber techniques so that I can stop talking about it. Right, right. And then I can kind of prove my assault. Is there there an entire technique dedicated to the um, double-ended Darth Maul? You know, 
I don't think it has a name. I uh, I will do some research and put it in the show the show <laughs> notes. Sure. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so sorry. Go ahead. Oh no no! Just uh, now we know that the, that there is such a thing as an anal print, and why shouldn't there be? I'm sure it's as varied as as our fingerprints. Yeah, the... I mean you're less likely to leave it at a crime scene, but I guess it depends on the crime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is. Um, I, guess, I guess that's also a lesson to be learned. If you're a burglar and think you are cunningly evading the fingerprinters by only picking up objects with your ass, <laughs> just opening the door handle, <laughs> gently backing onto the doorknob and turning it that way. I, I do think that um, taking photos of a person's anus while they are on the toilet is almost as invasive as humans telling everyone what whale sharks, like how old they are. I do think that it's almost as invasive. It's an overshare, no doubt. Uh, so, I mean, so they've got a database of hundreds or thousands of anuses somewhere. Encrypted in the cloud, yeah. And but I guess there's someone who monitors them, right? Presumably a lot of taints, a lot of balls, a lot of... I mean, there's no way you can just get the butt in the picture, right? It's... Uh, it's not, not a good, no, nah, not a fan. They've got a, uh, they've got a couple of on the on the Real Clear Science article. They've got diagrams of what they do get, and it looks like, it looks like it's like mostly not the anus. <laughs> like, do you see the one that says anal print scan? Yeah, but I can't tell what what's the front and the back there, which is a weird thing. You should be able to tell with that. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it looks like it looks like a rabbit's face. The bottom part of it. Yeah, I don't know what we're looking at exactly. Or like a broken stick figure. It really does not look like a human, but they do show with a green square around it where the anus is. Which is very <laughs> nice. You need that to be very clear. That's why this is called real clear science. Yeah. Yeah. Biologically, it's, as most of us have, a I'm actually green looking, square on our anus. I, I'm looking at the um the I'm looking at a similar article in their sister publication, upsettingly clear science. <laughs> 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 Unfortunately, too clear science where they really, really go into depth. And it's a uh, it's a print of someone's anus who you who you know and love. <laughs> <laughs> it's your aunt's anus. <laughs> yeah. Is that my ex? I think that's my ex. <laughs> um, there is another science story from Stanford as well that Andrew Miller emailed us. Uh, by the way, probablyscience at gmail.com is the email address if you want to send us stories or questions, comments, clarifications. But Stanford researchers devised treatments that relieve depression in 90% of participants in a small oh, yeah, this study. Is, this is crazy, yeah. Yeah, uh, it is a small study, and it does involve photographing them on the toilet. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, no, they used high doses of magnetic stimulation delivered on an accelerated timeline and targeted to individual neurocircuitry to treat patients with severe depression. A, a new form of magnetic uh, brain stimulation rapidly relieved symptoms of severe depression in 90% of participants in this small study conducted by researchers at the Stanford University School of Medicine. The researchers are conducting a larger double-blinded trial in which half the participants are receiving fake treatment. The researchers are optimistic the second trial will prove to be similarly effective in treating pe people whose condition hasn't improved with medication, talk therapy, or other forms of electromagnetic stimulation. It's called the Stanford Accelerated Intelligent Neuromodulation Therapy, or SAINT. What a coincidence it ended up forming a word. It's so lucky. They are always so... <laughs> scientists are always so lucky about the number of times they just put some random words together and it happens to spell something out for whether it's a satellite or a telescope or in this case a treatment. It's... It's remarkably... It, I, don't, I don't know. What, what, what are the odds? It's... Yeah. We must, must have some statisticians and probability <laughs> researchers out there listening to this show. It's got... It, mind-boggling how frequent uh it is a form of transcranial magnetic stimulation which is approved by the fda for treatment of depression the researchers reported that the therapy improves on current fda approved protocols by increasing the number of magnetic pulses speeding up the pace of the treatment and targeting the pulses according to each individual's neurocircuitry so before undergoing the therapy all 21 participants who were severely depressed um according to uh set they, sorry, they were tested according to diagnostic tests for depression. And afterwards, 
19 of them scored within the non-depressed range. That's damn. Wow. Although all of the participants had suicidal thoughts before the therapy, none reported having them after treatment. All 21 had previously not experienced improvements with medications or FDA-approved transcranial magnetic stimulation or electroconvulsive therapy. Or electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah. Wow. I'm so they've surprised. been really resistant to a large number of possible treatments. The only side effects, apparently, according to this article, are were fatigue and some discomfort during treatment. Uh, and it was published in the American Journal of Psychiatry. That's incredible. So, yeah, it says... So Nolan Williams, MD, who's assistant professor of psychiatry uh, and behavioral sciences and a senior author of this study, said there's never been a treatment for... therapy for treatment-resistant depression that's broken 55% remission rates in open-label testing. Electroconvulsive therapy is thought to be the gold standard, but it has only an average 48% remission rate in in treatment-resistant depression. No one expected these kinds of results. And what is the remission rate for this? For this, do we know what it is? It does say here the less treatment resistant participants are, the longer the treatment lasts. Um, they, uh, I'm, I'm skimming ahead, but because I get that they're saying that there's none of it. So, this is the so first one month after the, th- yeah. after the treatment, one month later, sixty percent of participants were still in remission. Wow. Follow up studies are underway to determine the duration of the. Uh, antidepressant effects. You guys want my take on this? Yes. My hot, spicy take? This is good. <laughs> That's All a good right. hot take. This is really good. All right, Sam. Take. I, uh, I, I, I think that sometimes science is pretty good and that this is a really nice thing and I hope that uh, their trials continue to, to be successful and fruitful because, hey, it's good when people aren't depressed. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's, as far as quality scientists, is right up there with butthole scans. <laughs> would, would you not, Matt? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would say for me, for me personally, but I also, you know, I, I'm, I'm speaking from privilege as someone who is not prone to treatment-resistant depression, but I would say, I, I mean, I, I would probably say that on average, butthole scans cheer me up more than this novel... Uh, electromagnetic therapy sure, on average yeah know. i would say on average this transcranial yeah. magnetic stimulation but but you know you who knows who knows what's going to happen in in the weeks to come who knows how i'm going to respond to different types of treatment and effects yeah. right now the thing that gets gains me the most pleasure is knowing that my anus is being frequently and thoroughly photographed and analyzed. And we should have mentioned and and tastefully, like they're finding <laughs> they're finding your your good side. You know, it's not like oh it's, oh yeah yeah no I you know I would I would I would hate to think that yeah I would, hate, I would hate to think there's some sort of slapdash snapper just just some photographic hack chancing it. No, I mean they're they're really you know yeah you want to get like a fill light you want to have a soft focus yeah and. You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say it. There is some retouching going on. Sure. <laughs> like before our, it's encrypted, it's it's retouched. Yeah. Oh yeah, some, yeah. Like uh, yeah, Instagram uh, filters. Uh, and, and you know, everyone does it, but no one talks about it. But like after my, <laughs> after my butthole has been photographed, it will be retouched. It's It'll be retouched as many times as it needs to be retouched <laughs> to provoke the desired effect <laughs> of lowering depression. <laughs> oh man um, I, I have a question for you guys go for it on your podcast yes do, do you usually cater your stories to the to the guests that you have on each episode because the fact that you're talking about old whale sharks anal prints and clinical studies to try to sub, to, to, to help subvert and, uh, and depression and in, in, in higher remission rates that feels like it feels like you did this purposefully for me which is yeah. very sweet it's basically it, the podcast version of this is your life <laughs> <laughs> remember this voice <laughs> old grandpa whale shark <laughs> wow we used to hang out in the docks and photograph each other's buttholes grandpa that's right <laughs> God, I don't know how I know that show because it was—it must have been on in the, the like the '60s. I think I mostly know it from this Sesame Street 
uh, parody of it or Muppet Show parody of it? Um, it, it, it ran... I don't know whether it started in the UK or the US, but there was a UK version that ran for decades with different hosts over the years. Yeah. And it definitely ran into my childhood. I remember it overlapping with me as a kid. I think think Michael Aspel was the last host, but I've seen footage from like old, shaky, black and white um, episodes from the 60s. Yeah, I feel like it's it's not the thing that is very relevant nowadays because everyone is still in touch with their high school friends on Facebook and it's, you know, there, there isn't the distance there once was. Yeah, this is your life shoved right in front of your face every second of the day to, to the yeah. point of <laughs> depression, to the point that I you need some, this treatment. I want some distance from it. I want something else to watch besides Facebook. You know what else you can watch these days when you're uh, stuck at home? Holes? <laughs> After you've finished looking at all the at all those. You can also uh, sign up. Is there up. some kind of online learning that may it or may is, not be a sponsor of this podcast? It is so, exactly that. You some know kind them. of great courses plus that. Exactly. That gives us access to hundreds, nay, thousands of college level courses taught by top professors and teachers in their fields. It's a great thing to do while you're stuck at home right now. It's a great way for everyone to stay informed and engaged. If you haven't already checked out the great courses plus, trust us, it's worth your time. You know you like to be educated and informed. Yeah, it's it's really ha- like right now with this whole situation. I've been dipping in and out of it both to learn stuff about the current situation. You know, like I, oh, I'll learn a bit about uh, how viruses and that kind of thing work. But then also just uh, I want to learn about music, or I want to learn about um, Andy just did a, a very informative course on beer. They've got everything. If you like beer, as I do, you can learn about how it's made, the different types. You can see a lot of cool beer. What, what would yeah, you say I, is the biggest takeaway beer fact that you got from the Great Courses Plus beer course? Um, I think it was just an understanding of the full process, like from the actual malting of a grain. I, I didn't fully understand what that means. And I believe, let me summarize what malting is. I think that you allow the seed of a grain to start to germinate and sprout and then you sort of freeze it in that process by breaking it for a long time at a not too high temperature and then that allows because you can malt any grain i believe and like you malt barley oh, i know i will for, i've been malting some sure. grains right yeah um and then yeah the malt that you start with determines a lot about the flavor as do you know things like adding hops later which i don't think is directly related to the fermentation but is purely a flavor thing. And then the two different kinds of yeast that you use um, determine whether it falls into the ale or lager. I, I, uh, I got a second question that puts you on the spot a bit less, Andy. Would you sure. say your enjoyment of beer has increased, decreased, or stayed roughly the same as a result of doing this course? I when will... you had your evening or morning beer today? <laughs> <laughs> it, has, it has definitely increased my enjoyment of beer. I can't guarantee that everyone who goes to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably and watches the beer course will have their enjoyment of beer increased, but it's very likely that you will. And you can also watch the Introduction to Infectious Diseases, which we spoke about before. There's a class on money and banking, what everyone should know. Fighting misinformation, digital media literacy to help interpret fact from fiction in the news these days. Uh, or you can keep your kids learning about math, science, history while they're out of school. You can use this to pick up a hobby like gardening, cooking, practicing yoga. There's nothing you can't find. Actually, I'm sure there are some things you probably can't find. You can't legally say there's nothing you can't find, but there's <laughs> yeah. a lot. There. But we we have when I when I've wanted to learn about the things so far, I, I'm yet to find a topic that isn't covered at least to an ex, at least within a course, if not even having an entire course to itself. Yeah, they, and if it, they have a very large number of courses and lectures. So now's the perfect time to start. Visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably for this great offer, which is a free trial and only $10 a month when you sign up for a quarterly plan. Um, Yeah, you got the time. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Give it a listen. Or watch. You can listen or watch, as I've been doing. This is an interesting one. I I was going to do a space story because there's a couple of fun space stories, but I just saw this as I was looking through the BBC website. I'm just going to put it in the show notes here as well. Um, Because... You know, climate change is obviously, right now, pandemic is the biggest threat facing us in the short term. But in the longer, to, mid to long term, climate change is still the biggest threat to all of our livelihoods. I mean, uh, is it, you can't say that for certain. It could also be nuclear winter. We don't know. But. That's true. But <laughs> uh, but no, I, I would say the, the one that is 
you know, a nuclear a nuclear war is a single event that is set off by a specific decision, rather than right now climate change to the detriment of the world is an is a currently happening and ongoing event that will get worse unless we actively do something rather than actively don't do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, mass tree planting in the UK could harm the environment if not planned properly, warns a report. A badly badly planned trees would increase greenhouse gas emissions, say the government's advisors on the economic value of the natural environment. The report comes from the National Capital Committee, NCC, which says planting trees into peat bogs would prove a serious mistake because peat locks up vast quantities of carbon in itself, and then the trees dry out that peat, releasing it. They can release more greenhouse gases than the trees themselves absorb. Uh, so I, it, I, that just interested me, because it's one of those sort of unintended consequences of trying to do the right thing. Right. Who would think, you think that just trees in general, they're taking in carbon dioxide, giving off oxygen, it's got to be a, it's got to be a net positive. Yeah, That's... and yet, and yet it isn't. I, I'm always fascinated by those sort of unintended consequences, mistake, uh, we thought we were doing the right thing and look what happened. Now, now everyone has to get scanned for apples when they enter Australia. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when you create a toilet that takes butthole pictures, you're like, what's, what could the downside possibly be? Obviously this is a net positive. Right. But here's one net, net negative that we hadn't considered when we started our mission. And that is that flooding the market with, butthole pictures devalues individual butthole pr- pictures essentially the the bottom of the butthole market falls out yeah you've got useless butthole pics <laughs> you've got a glut of butts Ooh, yeah it's it's a, it's you burst the butt bubble you get a butt glut <laughs> yes <laughs> i just uh, i just want to give a quick update on my on my exercise yes um i am still pedaling I did not realize that my apartment was a lot hotter than it normally is. Oh, no. So, and I also did not... I thought that the, the, the consequences of doing this were going to be that I was going to lose my train of thought more easily and that I would be uh, short of breath. Turns out that what's actually happening is I am sweating as, as one normally does when they're exercising, but I also have a terrible stitch in my ribs. Oh, no. That I've had for... 15 minutes now, um, and I have been very good about not screaming throughout the show. Ooh. So I'm going to power through it, guys. You uh, can this stop is the, biking if you want. Nah, no. nah. This is the price to pay for pioneering. Are, the, are you meant to... Are you meant to run through a stitch? Because that's I remember that's what the like the PE teacher at school would tell us, but I don't know whether that's actually based in any kind of sports science or if it's just the kind of thing a PA, PE teacher tells you because of their natural sadistic streak and Listen, inability yeah. to empathize with someone who is unathletic. I don't know what their medical qualifications were when when giving that kind of advice. I don't know if their uncle was a doctor. <laughs> but... <laughs> but I'm I'm just going to kind of stay even keeled and try to not scream on the show. Um, also, why are people planting trees in peat bogs to begin with? There's already like green stuff there, right? It doesn't well, look there, like there a is, good except, place. Um, Britain has a lot less space than America. I think that is one thing to realize. It, like we've got, I I don't think Brits realize until they visit America quite how much space you have, quite how much. Like you have middle of nowhere in a way that we just don't. Yeah, we, like the uh, places that Britain, Brits consider to be the middle of nowhere are basically backing onto someone's garden. Yeah, Matt. I don't know if you know this, but I'm currently in the middle of nowhere. As you I are. have been for a month. You Where are, are you, Andy? We point out that Andy has been holed up in Joshua Tree. Slash Palm Street. You're out in the Palm Desert, basically. You've been no, no, no. Palm Desert is the other side of the park. I am in the municipality of Joshua Tree. Okay. Yeah, uh, Sam. As as the listeners have heard, I I bought a house here six weeks ago, uh, and then the world. Oh fell my apart. god! Congratulations. Well, I didn't mean to move here. I meant to have it as a you know, you know short term rental, and then also a place I could use. Uh, just because I know I can never buy in LA, it's insane. But out here, you can still find a reasonable 
priced house. And then as as I was in escrow on it, I was like jokingly saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'll probably just hole up and wait out coronavirus out there. And then six weeks later, it's exactly what I'm doing. I was all ready to ask you to hold up your hand and show where on the mitten you were. But here you are in <laughs> not not a hand or glove shaped uh, location, as far no. as I can tell. I mean, the uh, the trees are hand shaped kind of or, or Joshua shaped. Trippy. But they are actually named for their resemblance to uh, biblical figure Joshua with his arms outstretched towards the Lord. Is that or something. true? Yeah, some early, I think maybe like a Mormon missionary who saw them first. I mean, they're pretty cool trees. And, and the fact that they only grow in this narrow band of elevation and I think only in North America. Wild. I think that people, the people who go there would be... Knowing that it was named after like a, a like a Christian biblical thing, I think it would kind of color and shade their experience with it a little bit. For the better or for the worse? I don't know. Could go either way. Yeah. I just feel like it would color it. Yes. Like Joseph's Technicolor dream coat. Thank you. Exactly. Joseph, Joshua's Technicolor tree coat. Oh, yes. Jo- well, I guess Joshua and Joseph are different people. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, they... Joshua was Joseph's son, if I'm remembering correctly. Was one of them a doctor? Because then they're both doctors. <laughs> no, but their uncle was a doctor. So they okay. basically could be. I was just trying to think of the most amusing Josh or Joshua to claim that I thought it was named after. And there isn't really a good one. There aren't great Joshuas. I was there? going through famous Joshuas, and I can't think of any that would be sufficiently humorous to pretend that I always thought that was who it was named after. Not even I guess Pacey. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you've got your and ha- Joshua Harme from Queens of the Stone Age, and uh, which also, yeah. also, I a Joshua Tree resident. Oh, really, Brolin? That's, that's where uh, that's where that genre of rock, desert rock, it all uh, happened yeah. out here. You got Josh Brolin. You got a few athletes. Hartnett, uh, Groban. Yep, Groban. Groban. Guy, that's a good Josh. The guy who played Pacey on Dawson's Creek. Isn't he a Josh? But, you are? but no, no Josh that is individually. Oh, this is the funniest Josh to claim that Josh Gad. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I mean, I guess picturing Josh Gad as the source of a Joshua tree is kind of fun. It's funny. I like the image, yeah. But I I would say, you know, if I was in a writer's room and that was pitched, I would probably, I'd probably cut that whole joke. Just go like, nah, we're not going to land on a sufficiently funny Josh to make this bit work. There are no funny Joshes. Prove me wrong. Debate me. I mean, there are funny people called Josh. There's a, right. there's a couple of solid Josh comedians. Oh, yeah. Like Josh Blue. Uh, Ga- Ga- Gondelman? Josh Gondelman. Uh, Josh, Josh, Josh Whittacombe over in the UK. So, Josh Wolf. Very funny Joshes, but none yeah. of them none of them individually hilarious enough to be able to claim, as a concept, to claim an entire desert area named after. Just so you know, just let, let, letting you all into that, giving you I all think... that information. Um, so there's a couple <laughs> of little side stories if we want to quickly drop them in. The Mercury mission has left Earth, has bed fa- bid farewell, bade farewell to Earth. To it go has, to Mercury? It's had its last swing by in its, uh, a gravitational flyby enabled the 2 one space probe to bend a path towards the inner solar system and bleed off some speed. All right. It was going too damn fast. Just put it in the show notes there for you as well. No uh, no Irish exit for the Mercury mission? <laughs> nah So it needs to make sure it's not traveling too fast when it arrives at Mercury in 2025, or it won't be able to go into orbit around the diminutive world. Um, and so, yeah, they've had to do the opposite of a slingshot. They do a reverse slingshot to slow, slow down. They also did... I'm gonna have, they're gonna, it's going to have to perform two similar maneuvers at Venus and six at Mercury itself to get itself into position. The only alternative would have been to give it a colossal volume of fuel to use in a braking engine, which is an impractical solution. So it came within 8,000 miles, that's 13,000 kilometers of the Earth's surface. The closest approach was a couple of days ago at 5.25 British in the morning, British Standard Time, or British Summer Time. What is their ETA to Mercury? How long do they think it's going to take to get there? 2025 is when... So the, whole, the full timetable is here. So it just did its uh, its flyby on... Oh, yesterday. Yesterday morning. I see it. I see, I see it in the And in then the it's, graph, Venus, yeah. it's going to do a Venus flyby in October, then a second one in August of next year, 
then a Mercury flyby a couple of months later in October of next year. Then And then in 2022, it's going to fly by Mercury. And then 2023 and 2024, it's going to do two flybys, in one in September, one in December, before finally... And and then before doing a final flyby in January 2025. And then it'll spend the best part of a year uh, before it finally arrives at Mercury in the final orbit. Um, what a tease I, that the first time it passes Mercury is four years before it actually can yeah, stop at Mercury. <laughs> it's it's bon- like it fascinates me just the, the it it fascinates me the calculation like obviously I know nowadays it's much easier to calculate these orbital mechanics because you've got computer programs that, that do a lot of the work for you but like they would have had to have worked out this stuff in the past with like. Slide pen and rules. paper and slide rules yeah, and it's insane it's insane i mean i guess also, love tables and also just to just to look at the, the 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 between the thing that's freaking me out about this is between the fifth each one is like a year it takes like like the third to the fourth is june 2023 to september 2024 between the fifth and sixth flybys it's five weeks and then it lands about a year later. Yeah, it's it's very it's it's curious, isn't it? I I would love to see I would love to see an animation of the let's let's see if there is one, but I would I would love to see an animation of the entire route of the path it takes, the orbital path. Yeah. Uh just viewed from above because I'm guessing it would be mostly in a plane, because most of the solar system is roughly in a plane. So you could sort of look at it perpendicular and see the full motion of it as it goes around. Right. Let's see if there is Beppy. Also, what a name, Beppy Colombo. Beppy Colombo, <laughs> pretty sweet. That does sound like a sort of 15th century clown. <laughs> <Charles>. <laughs> the greatest clown of the 1500 yeah. of the 1400s. But doctor, I am Beppy Colombo. <laughs> 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 That's a reference to an old uh, <laughs> an old street joke, I guess. A depressing as fuck joke. Uh, let's see. Orbital path, Be- Beppy Colombo. Here we go. Beppy Colombo's journey to Mercury. European Space Agency visualization on YouTube. It is a two-minute-long video. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. I'm going to add that to you guys, too. So, um... Uh, Beppe Colombo's Cruise to Mercury. Cool name for a movie. Or anything. Yeah, there, there it is. Okay, so, yeah, I will put that in the show notes so you can look at it. That's exactly what I wanted. It is a... It is an animation from just above, but still a bit of an angle onto the solar system. Uh showing where it intersects with the orbits of Earth and then Venus and uh yeah there's the first there's the first Venus flyby and then it avoids it misses Venus and then it sort of intersects. Yeah, it's great. This is very satisfying to watch. It's also it's fun to kinda like even though you know how it's gonna end up, you're almost like making bets with yourself about what's gonna happen with this next pass oh it's oh so cool yeah wow. okay yeah it is it is thoroughly so- well, i will definitely put that in the show notes so you can have a two minute watch of that where you can see each time it intersects with the orbits of the different planets that is incredibly satisfying it's almost like watching one of those um it's usually like a donation to charity thing one of those vortex things you put a quarter in uh oh yeah yeah it is uh but but with that that slight sort of chaotic motion element to it, where yeah, yeah. it changes path, you don't know when it's going to interact with the other thing, and it changes path slightly every time it does that. Uh, Ooh, I just got to twenty twenty five. I'm we're there. This guy is locked to Mercury. It took a ton of spins, yeah, twenty twenty five, and now it's just with Mercury just flying around. Now so they're buddies. Cool. Oh, I just got there. Yeah, isn't that fun? That's nice. Um, what a joy. Uh, Hey, um, Sam, where can our listeners find out about you and the various things you do, including the Pastanacticast? 
Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at, at Sam Pasternak. Uh, the podcast Pasternak is uh, bi-weekly uh, every other Wednesday. We did a great episode uh, last – I think that we released last week with um, noted comedian, writer, and podcast host Matt Kirshen. I've, uh, I heard of him. Um, he did a very, very funny episode where we where we talked about the Beach Boys and their incessant tootling. <laughs> That's true. Uh, to quote their Matt. Incessant tootling? Yeah, tootling. I decided they tootle too much. Okay. Uh, um, Kokomo is some deep tootling. And then, some, um, yeah. and, then, and then I also, um, before I forget, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm producing this weekly uh, telethon uh, that starts, uh, that's going to be every Sunday uh, with uh, Broadway performer George Salazar. Um, where we're going to be raising money for different charities every week. Uh, and that's going to be on his YouTube channel. And it's there's stuff on Playbill and GoFundMe to check out for that also. It's called Sundays on the Couch with George. Uh, that's very cool. Um, also, is there any footage of your musical? I know, like, obviously, right now you won't be able to do it live, but is that a thing that you're planning to do again at some point soon? Yes. Yeah, so I, I wrote I wrote a musical uh, that I put up at Hollywood Fringe this past year, and we got an extension and won some awards for that. And it was it was it was so much fun to put up. And uh, the videos will eventually be available of the show. Right now, we are in process on a couple of different things with it and licensing stuff and um, figuring out what's next for the show. But yeah, that eventually will be out in the world in some way. So, uh, but. Uh, Matt, you came and saw the show. I did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a lot Thank of fun. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you came. Um, you can find us, as always, probablyscience.com, uh, uh, at probablyscience on Twitter, individually at Andy T. Wood, at Matt Kirshen. Uh, probablyscience at gmail.com is our email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, stories you would like us to cover. Um, and uh, all that good stuff. You can also find us Facebook slash probablyscience as well. Uh, thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, hang in there, and we will see you, or you will hear us next time. Yep, talk to you then. Bye.